Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. So, talk to me about the beginning, the coup, February first. What what happened? In Yangon. I normally didn't get to sleep until like four or five in the morning. I stay up downloading things like movies and songs. This is a guy we're calling Ko Ong. He's a young man in his mid-thirties from Yangon, Myanmar, and it's the night before the country's military coup last year. I like to have Bollywood movies on hand in case I got bored. He's up late downloading Bollywood movies when all of a sudden the internet goes out. He gets a call from his uncle. When the phone internet got cut off, I thought it was just normal, like the internet had just gone down. We still have Wi-Fi. Then around 2.30 or 3 in the morning, my uncle from the United States called me and I thought he was messing with me, you know. I told him, if you want to joke with me, you can do it on April Fool's. But the reality, the next morning was... We all felt that something was missing. Something was gone. The military made its move in the early hours of the morning, detaining Myanmar's democratically elected leader and Sang Suu Kyi and other senior figures from the ruling party. It felt like Everything was over, and I didn't even know what to do. It's like I lost my way. It's just like a nightmare. The military rounded up the nation's democratically elected leadership. It then announced a coup on military-run TV. Pro-democracy protests erupt in the streets, but Kuang doesn't go out right away. He thinks, in a few days, things will sort themselves out. Then, people started being killed. And at the beginning, we thought the killings were maybe just accidents. But then more and more people were killed, and we realized that they were doing this intentionally. The protests turned more and more violent. The more people that were killed, the angrier we got. Eventually, Koong decides to start fighting back against the military. To fight back, we started making whatever we could think of, like weapons, handmade explosives, stuff like that. With the help of YouTube tutorials, they learn how to make Molotov cocktails. Since that time, I have become a so-called terrorist. This is the beginning of Koang's journey, and the story of thousands like him, changing from civilians to protesters, and finally, combat-ready soldiers fighting in the bloody resistance against Myanmar's military. A campaign of terror is sweeping Myanmar. 
Civilians are being dragged off the street, interrogated and held without charge as the military continues to crush dissent after seizing power in a coup. One year since Myanmar's army overthrew the elected civilian government, the country appears to be in the throes of a civil war. The army has stepped up violent attacks against citizens and pro-democracy protesters are organizing into armed groups. But it's an uneven contest and the military appears willing to do anything to stay in power. The Myanmar regime's response to popular resistance tells a story of indiscriminate violence. More and more, the conflict is becoming a civil war. This is Vice News Reports, and I'm Ben Salman, a correspondent for Vice News. Yeah, like two or three seconds before that. <laughs> right, right, right. That pause. <laughs> Minglava, how are you? Minglava, uh, pretty good. How about you? Good. Thanks for doing this. So this is my producers Sophie and I playing the interview tape of Ko Ong for a Burmese voice actor. Yeah. Well, we're so happy we found you. I mean, this is—it's really an honor to have someone like you, who's such a great translator and a, and a voice actor, to help out with this. So we really appreciate it. Yeah, and I'm really happy to help with this project. It means a lot. <laughs> What should we call you? Um, you can call me Komio. Even though Komio is a working actor here in the U.S. and he has nothing to do with anyone in this story, it's still potentially very dangerous for his family back in Myanmar for him to be at all associated with news about the coup. You know, like you don't know what's going to happen, like if the military heard about it or something. So. And so the actor we're calling Komio will be the voice of the person in Myanmar we're calling Ko Ong. Uh, yeah, I'm going to be paraphrasing his words, so it's not going to be the exact uh, words translation. A few months ago, I was in a safe house in western Thailand, just across the border from Myanmar. It had been a year since the coup in Myanmar, and I wanted to interview young people like Koang about their lives before the coup. Before the coup, like, what was what was it like to be a young person in Myanmar? I was happy before. I was free and could do whatever I wanted. I had my regular job. I hang out with friends after work, then go back home, and I could sleep and wake up whatever I wanted. The safe house is tucked away on a quiet residential street. There's not much in the room. It's lit by fluorescent lights. There are a few plastic chairs, some sleeping mats, and an old table. Sitting around are a dozen young people wearing old, stale clothes they've been wearing for a week. They look tired and gaunt. And they're all dissidents who have fled Myanmar in the past few days. In the past, I could go wherever I wanted. Do whatever I wanted, but now even going outside freely is really hard for me. Sitting in the middle is Ko Ong. He's their leader. He grew up in Yangon, biggest city in Myanmar. He's in his mid-thirties, about ten years older than anyone else in the room. Before the coup, he was a musician and soccer player. You're a goalkeeper. Goalkeeper. Oh wow, cool. 
During the day, he worked for his family's food distribution business. He would deliver fruits and vegetables all around the city, and at night, he would go hang out with his friends, play music. From pictures that you see around that time on Facebook, you can see him out with his friends. He's at clubs all around Yangon. He's lanky, he's got long hair, he's smiling and happy. I led a normal, reasonable life. I could afford food, rent. With my own business, I didn't have to work for other people. I could wake up at any time. I could stay home if I wanted to, without worrying. It was stress-free. It was like a really chill life. Yeah. So you were just chilling. Back then, in a country often known to the West as being full of turmoil and mired by military rule, things were actually going pretty well. And this is where I think it's a little helpful to have some background about Myanmar. Because Myanmar has been under some sort of military control for almost 60 years. It's a cycle of protests and then the military violently cracking down. And it all goes back to 1948. London celebrations at the Burmese embassy marked the creation of a new and independent Far Eastern power, the Union of Burma. When after more than a century of British colonial rule, they break away to form the independent nation of Burma. Burma has been reborn. But just as the nation is born, fighting breaks out between ethnic groups in the north and south and the central government trying to tie them all together. For 14 years, the country is a mess. And eventually, in 1962, the military makes its first move to grab power. This is the first coup. A socialist party led by former generals abolishes the federal government, bans all independent newspapers, and installs military generals to head the new one-party socialist state. Thousands of students at the Central University break out into protests. Quickly, more than 100 are killed and thousands are arrested. This party holds power until 1988. These latest pictures from the Burmese capital Rangoon, taken after last week's coup, show the army using force to put down demonstrations, firing indiscriminately at a march on the American embassy. There's a second coup. Students protest against the government. They want democracy, elections, and to push out the Socialist Party that's been holding on to power. The anti-government protesters, men, women and children, tried to take cover as the firing continued. These protests continue for a month. And once again, the military steps in. They impose martial law, crack down violently on protesters. The injured were carried to safety in a hail of bullets. The soldiers, determined to end all opposition to military rules, apparently firing at anyone that moved. So harsh that by the end of the year, it's estimated that they killed thousands of civilians, including students, monks, and even children. This was the birth of the military junta that will control every aspect of life in Myanmar. At this point, Myanmar is almost totally cut off from the world. Visas are nearly impossible to get. Cell phone SIM cards cost an exorbitant amount of money. And the nation is consistently ranked one of the poorest in the world. Mass protests erupt in Myanmar in August, September, and October of 2007, after Myanmar's ruling military junta removes fuel subsidies, causing prices to double. A new protest movement is born. 
led by Buddhist monks, it's called the Saffron Revolution, after their orange robes. I was still working as a musician, and I was living in my teacher's house. And I was trying to protect the monks who were in the movement to cover for them, something like that. For Ko Ong, this is his first real run-in with the military. He's in his early 20s and decides to support the monks' protests. One day, he and his friends are about to go out when they see that the roads are all blocked. The military, they were shooting at the protesters with real bullets, not even the rubber bullets. Try to imagine the protesters are running without shoes or slippers, jumping over the fences, shooting with slingshots. When they got caught, they beat them with a police baton. I saw that with my own eyes. They had no empathy at all. Like, even if the order was coming from their superiors, how could they even do that? After a little more than a year, the protests fizzle out. They don't bring any political change. But for Ko Ong, these moments of violence stick with him. This was like a big moment. Was this the first time you like, questioned the government? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was the first time. Then in the early 2010s, the country suddenly started to change course. The military starts to open up to political reforms. Websites like YouTube are allowed back online. The military releases a bunch of political prisoners. After seven years of house arrest in Myanmar, Nobel Peace Prize laureate Aung San Suu Kyi is free. Like Aung San Suu Kyi, a famous jailed revolutionary and political leader, is released from nearly 15 years of house arrest. The activist's vocal opposition to 48 years of military rule here led to her detention by authorities for 15 of the past 21 years. And the country goes through a massive moment of modernization. Young entrepreneurs sat in tech hubs, pitching their ideas to funders. Universities reopened. Exiles returned to open newsrooms. Over the decade, Myanmar blossomed. Ko Ong feels it. What I noticed in that five-year time was the opportunities. Through my working years experience, that was the only one time I had seen those kind of opportunities. Myanmar's doors fly open to Western investment. Economic reforms are happening in tandem with political reforms here in Myanmar. The new civilian government is very keen to prove to the world that Myanmar is open for business and it's no longer such a risky investment. Uh, the country's opening up, foreign companies coming in, so it's definitely put the country on the global map. Myanmar's doors fly open to Western investment. Suddenly, young people are getting jobs in brand new, brightly lit, air-conditioned malls, eating at newly opened KFCs and pizza huts, signing up for Facebook on cheap Chinese smartphones. I would like to say how happy I am to receive President Obama in my country and in my house. President Obama is even the first American president to visit in 2012. And I am very pleased that one of my first stops is to visit with an icon of democracy who's inspired so many people, not just uh, in this country, but all around the world. And even goes back for a second visit two years later. Life was getting simpler and easier, and Koang could see it all over. Koang says even the trains got better. Because they made so many improvements in their first five years. Like in the past, if you were holding a coffee cup on the train, it would spill. But it's not as shaky now. 
That's the difference from the past. For the Western world, this is the fairy tale happy ending of democracy's beautiful and peaceful spread. But for the people of Myanmar, they knew that the military was still in the background, pulling all of the strings. Over the past two months, religious and ethnic tensions in the nation once known as Burma have exploded. A group of Nobel Peace Prize winners has sharply criticized Myanmar's leader Aung San Suu Kyi for not doing enough to protect the country's minority Rohingya Muslims. The situation remains or seems a textbook, uh, textbook example of ethnic cleansing. Did you think that the old military times are gone? What I thought was elections should be separate. Politicians should do politics and military should do military. The military has carried out a coup d'etat in Myanmar. The military rounded up the nation's democratically elected leadership, including the country's de facto leader, Aung San Suu Kyi. The military announcing a state of emergency. Myanmar's 10-year journey to democracy appears to be over. On February 1st, 2021, the military overthrows the newly elected government. They arrest Aung San Suu Kyi and members of her party on trumped-up charges of importing walkie-talkies and retake full control of the country. Demonstrations are the largest since a 2007 uprising against the military. This is the third coup. The end of the nearly 10-year experiment in quasi-democracy and the beginning of the latest brutal crackdown. This leads us back to where Koong begins. As protests are raging around the nation, Koong goes from making Molotov cocktails to building more and more intricate explosives. He starts to become somewhat well-known in his neighborhood as a bomb maker. He organized teams of students smuggling fuels, hiding them in university dormitories. His operation is growing. Since that time, I have become a so-called terrorist. When Kuang says this, he's smiling, being sarcastic. But he's quickly becoming a part of a growing resistance movement of protesters turning to arms. They're calling themselves the People's Defense Forces, or PDF. Suddenly, Kuang has a target on his back. He says they're informants everywhere and the military is disappearing protest leaders all around the nation. Koong starts hopping from safe house to safe house in Yangon, trying to keep a low profile, but the situation is getting more and more dangerous. When, when did you know that this was the moment where you had to leave, that you couldn't stay in Yangon anymore? When I first decided to go to the jungle, it was around March. There was a brutal military crackdown in the township of North Oklapa. They used life rounds and fired with machine guns, but we didn't have anything to defend ourselves with. We didn't know much about planting explosives and where should we get hand grenades. And even if we get them, how do we throw them? Like, how far? We are not familiar with these things. I did not want to continue living in Yangon because we could do nothing and we didn't have enough weapons to fight them back. In some cases, 
we have to think. Then we decided to leave Yango. So in April 2021, Ko'ong leaves Yangon to head north and join a resistance force in the jungle to train and fight back against the military. That's after the break. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. So it's a few months after the coup. Koong has left home, and he and a group of his friends have set off for the jungle. After days of smuggling north, avoiding military checkpoints, Koong is about to start his new life as a resistance soldier. But first... We wanted to see the shopping mall, and we went there. But they are more expensive than in Yango. So we said, oh well, and we just ate tons of ice cream. And we bought some clothes like underwear, one for each of us. If I was going to the jungle, I would buy the exact same. Underwear and ice cream. Yeah, that's a good idea. From there, Koong is smuggled into the jungle by soldiers of the Korean National Liberation Army, or KNLA. This is an army formed by the Korean ethnic minority way back in 1947, right before the British colonialists fled. Now, they're a massive force of thousands hiding in the jungle and fighting for regional independence for the past seven decades. For Koong and new soldiers like him, it's the perfect place to learn how to fight. Over the next few months, Koong becomes a unit leader of this new resistance force, the People's Defense Forces, or the PDF. He's got 12 young fighters under his command, and his team is just one of the hundreds of hidden units all around the country. With the support of the Korean soldiers, they clear trees, build huts, make a small base for themselves in the jungle. We had to sleep in hammocks. The mosquitoes were a problem. We applied mosquito repellent, but that will only last a while. We couldn't sleep well at night, and we had to stay alert. They start running drills every day, but they don't have many weapons. So they train with rocks and bamboo and whatever they can get their hands on. It's a rough start in the beginning. When I was in the jungle, I missed home a lot. But I always kept in touch with my family over the phone. They worried about me because this area is not the same as in the city, and the situation could be dangerous. 
We had to eat what we had in store. And the food was mostly beans and imitation meat. And more beans and imitation meat. And then I learned to just swallow it with water because making the stomach full is the first priority. But I did lose some weight. Without many weapons, they aren't sure exactly how to help the resistance until one young recruit has an idea. He's a skinny 23-year-old who asks me to call him Jack, as in Jack Bauer from the TV show 24. And he is one of the most skilled bomb makers in the group. Before the coup, Jack worked as a repair guy at a cell phone store in Yangon. But he felt called to join the PDF. So in June of 2021, Jack made his way to the jungle. Jack is a tech-savvy kid. He pulls out his cell phone and shows me a picture of a small PVC pipe wrapped up with tape. Inside, Jack tells me, it's packed with plastic grocery bags full of gunpowder. It's janky, but also really sophisticated. With the help of some YouTube videos, Jack and his friends figure out how to have cheap Chinese consumer drones release these explosives over military targets. For the next few months, this was the life that Jack and Koong and their unit had. Building improvised weapons, attacking the military, doing daily drills and training in the jungle. Until around December of last year, Myanmar's military started a campaign of airstrikes across the region. The bombing was indiscriminate. The military attacked villages and refugee camps. The military carried out several airstrikes that forced hundreds to flee into neighboring Thailand. The junta says it had shot and killed what they're calling terrorists. And they targeted the militia outpost where Koong and Jack were training. We couldn't stay there anymore because we had no weapons left. When they attacked us, it was better to be safe than losing lives. And so Jack and Koong and the rest of their PDF militia decide to flee. They make their way to the border with Thailand. It's the middle of the night, and with the help of a smuggler, the PDF crew hops in a small dinghy and crosses the river into Thailand. They get to the side of a freeway where a group of fellow Burmese dissidents are there to receive them. They meet up and all cram into the driver's truck. The plan is to hide out and rest in a safe house. After dinner, Jack calls his mom. Jack and his mom talk about dinner. Jack's worried she's not eating enough. Then Jack's younger brother pops in. I miss you, Jack's brother says. It's a moment of respite. Because now not only are Jack and Koong and their unit on the run from the Burmese military, they also have to watch out for the Thai police. They're there without papers, which means they could get deported back to Myanmar and straight back into military custody, which is likely a death sentence. Jack tells me he'd like to go back home if at all possible. 
Kawang, though, he's going to keep fighting no matter what. Only when we win, our families who we left behind, our people can be free. Lift their chin up and walk out proudly. More than a year after the coup, this is what the most recent resistance looks like. A few thousand young people spread out all over the country, in the jungles and in the cities, with very few weapons, completely outmatched by the Myanmar military. Later, I will learn that one of the fighters I spoke with has gone back to Myanmar. They're keeping a low profile, because if you're a young person who disappeared last year, people probably guess where you've been, and you never know who might inform on you. Others at the safe house continue to wait, hoping they get a chance to go back to the fight and return Myanmar to the democracy they were promised. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Special thanks to Komio, which again is a pseudonym, for being the voice of Ko Ong and for translation help, and to the Vice News translation team. Thank you also to the anonymous Burmese journalists who helped make this episode possible. And to the team at Vice News tonight, including producer Tony Lin. You can watch their video called Myanmar's Jungle Warriors on YouTube. This story was reported by Ben Solomon and produced by Sophie Casis. Vice News Reports is also produced by Steph Brown, Ashley Cleek, Adiza Egan, Sam Egan, Sam Greenspan, Jen Kinney, and Adriana Rodriguez. Sound design and music composition by Steve Bone, Pran Bandy, Natasha Jacobs, and Kyle Murdoch. Our executive producer and the VP of Vice Audio is Kate Osborne. Janet Lee is senior production manager for Vice Audio. Fact-checking by Nicole Pasolka. Our theme music is by Steve Bone. I'm Ariel Zimros. I know podcast hosts say this all the time, but it would really be great if you could take the time to rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, because it really does help other people find the show. Vice News Reports drops every Thursday, so be sure to check back in next week.